Support comes from AstraZeneca, providing important treatment options for women living with advanced ovarian cancer. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Howard Hoxter, Anise Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about blood donation in support of cancer patients with Drs. Edward Snyder and Bernadette West. Dr. Snyder is the director of the blood bank at Yale New Haven Hospital and professor of laboratory medicine, and Dr. West is the medical director of the Red Cross for the Connecticut region. Dr. Hoxter is a professor of medicine and medical oncology at Yale School of Medicine and the clinical program director of the gastrointestinal cancers program at Smilo Cancer Hospital. The Red Cross is an amazing organization that fulfills so many needs for so many people. Uh, Bernadette, can you tell us a little bit about how the blood donation program began and uh, the history of the Red Cross? Yes. Uh, well, thank you for having us on. I do agree the Red Cross is a great organization, and I'm very proud to be part of it. Uh, as you know, Clara Barton founded the American Red Cross in 1881, and by 1898, the Connecticut office was established. So originally, they did mostly humanitarian work and you know through world war one and such providing supplies and clothing both to people overseas as well as the stateside families and by world war ii the red cross began collecting blood plasma to send to troops and hospitals overseas and in 1950, the Red Cross blood program was established to meet the needs of the civilian citizens of Connecticut. And Red Cross in our region continues to thrive because of all the generosity of the blood donors who come and literally give of themselves rolling up a sleeve and donating a unit of blood for somebody um, a, an adult or a child, someone they may never meet. And, and how much of the uh, effort of the Red Cross today, like the American Red Cross, is blood banking versus their other services? We have a, a humanitarian division uh, that is very active. I, just in Connecticut alone, we respond to approximately 800 calls a year for different uh, natural and other types of disasters. And then we have a biomedical division, of which I'm part of, that supplies blood and blood products um, throughout the entire nation. So while well, we're going to talk more about the blood donation program and how blood products are used tonight, I think our listeners should remember that the Red Cross is a lot more than that. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, so um, how much blood does the Connecticut chapter process in a year? Well, thanks to our generous donors, both financial and then those who give literally of themselves, we're able to collect well over 100,000 units of red cells every year and many thousands of units of platelets. And with this, we're able to meet the vast majority of the blood needs in Connecticut. And we're proud to supply and work with world-class facilities and programs like the Yale Cancer Center and the Smilo Cancer Hospital in New Haven as well as other excellent hospitals in Connecticut. 
And does um, the 100,000 units, does that all stay in Connecticut, or does some of it go elsewhere? You know, uh, for the most part, the blood remains here because Red Cross has a very robust um, network throughout the entire nation. During times of great need in other areas, we are able to both ship out amounts or receive amounts of blood or blood products as uh, opportunities may arise. I see. Okay. And uh, so Dr. Snyder is director of the blood bank here at Yale New Haven Hospital. Can you tell us um, how the safety of the blood is insured, both for donors and for patients? Well, the first thing we do is ensure that our suppliers are of the highest quality, and the Red Cross certainly is that, uh, because having blood is such an important uh, component of making a hospital function properly. We don't have a sole source supplier, so we do get a certain percentage of our blood also from the Rhode Island Blood Center uh, in Rhode Island. Um, both institutions are FDA inspected and are ABB accredited, um, so we're sure that the uh, highest quality um, activities are, are, are used at those centers. So that's the first thing. The second uh, is that we know the centers uh, take a history on the donors, there's a screening process, and then the blood is tested for a whole variety of uh, what we call transfusion-transmitted diseases, including uh, HIV, which is the AIDS uh, virus, um, another one called HTLV, uh, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, uh, West Nile virus, um, Chagas disease, uh, some parasites like Babesia, and also the platelets are tested for bacteria. So there's a whole, um, in addition, the syphilis is tested for as well. So these are required tests from the FDA, uh, and all the blood units that are uh, transfused at Yale are tested and found negative uh, for these various viruses. Um, it's a very, it's an ongoing process, and every time another uh, threat to the blood supply appears, there's an evaluation to determine if that needs to be added to the list of tests uh, to make sure that the blood supply is as safe as it can be. So um, I have patients who are a little bit reticent to get blood. They're worried about the safety. So how safe is the blood? Blood is extremely safe. Um, the incidence of infections transmitted by blood are in the millions, um, one, in a, one in three or four million for um, HIV and some of the other um, uh, viruses as well. Um, the people who live live through the AIDS epidemic have a, have a, still have a fear that the blood would be infected. Those who have not uh, lived through the AIDS epidemic, younger uh, generations, are less concerned. But uh, the Red Cross and the Rodan Blood Center and the FDA uh, are all still very um, attentive to these viruses. We'll be probably doing these testings for the foreseeable future, uh, even though there are other ways blood can be processed, which we may talk about later, so-called pathogen reduction, um, which we are using now at Yale, uh, there's still a concern, but it is essentially minimal. And although blood is as safe as it can be, we only use it when absolutely needed and only when it's um, indicated, and we use the least amount that we need to. Uh, we are very respectful of the benefit of blood and also the fact that it is um, a human product and uh, one has to be careful in uh, prescribing it. So, Dr. West, um, what uh, what do you do to ensure the safety when you collect the blood? 
Well, the the safety measures take place before the collection even starts, and the donor has to be a certain age. In the state of Connecticut, you have to be 17 years or older. You have to weigh at least 110 pounds, and you have to be in generally good health to be able to donate. And we start with some pre-donation materials that you'll read through to uh, read about risk factors that you may have that you didn't realize or medications that you might be taking that would interfere with the quality of the blood that you're about to give and then uh, the next portion is that you would do a health history questionnaire um, that asks rather personal questions about your health history, uh, lifestyle, um, and travel to make sure that we can do our very best to screen uh, donors before they're actually even drawn. Um, additionally, we do a mini health physical, which is your height and weight, um, blood pressure and pulse. And if you meet all those criteria, if you're giving whole blood, we just take a little finger stick to make sure you're healthy enough to donate and then you are able to donate. So people who would like to donate should be generally more than 110 pounds, more than 17 years old, and generally in good health. Yes. And the travel thing could be um, something that causes you to ask them not to donate at that time? Possibly, you know, depending on where they've traveled. For example, if it's to a malaria endemic area, they'll be donated or they would be deferred for a short period of time and so on. But uh, anyway, other people who are generally healthy, even if they're taking some common blood pressure medication and so forth, they could give. Absolutely. They would be able to donate. So that's kind of the first step to screen out people who may be more at risk because of certain factors. Yes. The next portion would be during the donation, we take some additional tubes of blood um, to send off for testing for all the tests that Dr. Snyder mentioned. And we keep the blood and do not release it until we receive all the results of the testing. And only when all the testing results are negative are we able to supply that blood to somebody. Yeah, I think it's important to point out a little bit uh, emphasizing what Dr. West just said, that the Red Cross and the other blood centers are not only interested in the health of, of the recipient getting the best blood, but also the health of the donor. So the donor safety is just as important as is recipient safety. Uh, that's a very good point, and I think people will be reassured by that. So um, when, what do you do to actually process the blood then? Well, we get a request from a physician that, uh, or a licensed independent practitioner that's able to request blood for a patient that may need blood. And the different types of blood, there are um, red blood cells, which carry oxygen. There is plasma, which has clotting factors. There are platelets, which are little pieces of a larger cell called a megakaryocyte, which break up uh, normally, and they help the blood clot. Um, the, those are the three different types. They're all stored differently. They all have different shelf lives, um, and we have different amounts of them. We have about 400 units of blood on the shelf of all the various types, A, B, O, A, B, uh, Rh positive, Rh negative, and you may, uh, listeners may remember that, those who are not in the field of medicine from high school biology where they talked about the different blood types. We have, um, for example, at any one time, 150 or more units of O on the shelf. And we do talk about universal donor and universal recipient, 
but primarily we try to give the same blood type to the patient um, as is the unit of blood being given. Um, the physician requests the blood and we uh, take a sample of the blood for red blood cells and we add it to a sample of, of the patient's uh, blood, uh, mix them together um, in a sense in a, in a test tube or in a, now we're using uh, much more sophisticated machines to see if in the laboratory the, the red cells and the plasma from the donor blood and the patient are compatible. If they are, then it can be transfused. If there's an incompatibility, which we can detect, the blood is not used, and we'd have to look further to see if the patient may have developed some proteins due to prior transfusions or in women due to prior pregnancies, uh, which would cause the blood to be incompatible. And, and that's what they call a cross match. That's a cross match, and that's what the blood bank technologists and the blood bank staff do to make sure that the blood that the patient receives is not only the safest blood, but that it's properly matched for the right patient. And how long does that take to do? Well, it, there's a screening process, which is what we focus on primarily. Uh, it takes about 45 minutes to an hour. In an emergency, the blood can be given out uh, just based on the ABO type, which is a, one of the, the main blood group antigens we worry about. Uh, but normally it takes about 45 minutes. I see. And so if I go to the Red Cross and I donate a unit of blood, however much they take, it's going to land up turning into packed red blood cells, plasma, and platelets? It can. It depends. The uh, fractionation uh, of blood or the dividing of the components into different parts uh, is very important. And uh, the Red Cross uh, knows how to do this. So if we need more plasma, they will direct some of the whole blood into plasma as well as platelets and red cells. There are machines that can collect just platelets or just plasma or just red cells. It's a business and uh, it's very sophisticated and um, each unit of whole blood is usually divided into about two to three components each um, if, as needed and uh, the Red Cross Blood Center manages that uh, quite well. Well, it's good to know that our don blood donations go to so many purposes. We're going to take a short break for Medical Minute. Please stay tuned to, to learn more information about blood donation and the American Red Cross. Support comes from AstraZeneca. Created three new FDA-approved cancer therapies in the past three years and on track to provide patients with six new medicines by 2020. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. There are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking, as smoking involves the potent drug nicotine, but it's a very important lifestyle change, especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment. Quitting smoking has been shown to positively impact response to treatments, decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies, and increase rates of survival. Tobacco treatment programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital. Smilo Cancer Hospital's tobacco treatment program operates on the principles of the U.S. Public Health Service clinical practice guidelines. All treatment components are evidence-based, and therefore all patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications for smoking cessation, as well as smoking cessation counseling that stresses appropriate coping skills. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. 
Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Howard Hoxter, and my guests tonight, Dr. Edward Snyder and Dr. Bernadette West, join me to discuss blood donation in honor of cancer patients. So we're talking about uh, the different kind of blood products and, and donation. Um, when people think about blood donation, they often uh, really comes to their mind in a time of crisis when there's a natural disaster or perhaps a mass, mass casualty event, and that's when people really think about blood donation. Um, can you kind of tell us, like, uh, what the ongoing need is and, you know, the what happens when we have these kind of uh, events where there's so many donors? Yes. Um, managing um, crises and uh, natural disasters and, and mass casualties is, is difficult. As I s mentioned in the earlier section, we have about 150 units of type O on the shelf uh, and about 300 of the other types mixed in. Uh, if there's a disaster or there's a mass shooting, uh, those units can go very quickly, and we turn to our blood center, the Red Cross and Rhode Island Blood Center as needed, um, to help support that. Um, Part of the problem is uh, having enough blood, um, not only for the actual casualty and the victims on that day, but going forward. And as I mentioned, that certain blood products like platelets have a five-day shelf life, which means if 500 people show up to donate blood because they want to help, and this is their expression of how they can help the victims, uh, and platelets are taken, five days later, all those platelets have expired if they haven't been used. So the trick is to spread out the donations so that we can help the victims of that day and also going forward have enough blood uh, for those uh, individuals um, as, they're, as they are healing. Uh, and uh, actually, Dr. West can explain a little better how the Red Cross manages something like that. Yes, Just thank please. you, Dr. Snyder. Um, you are correct in that the blood supply is constantly in flux, and uh, we try to avoid uh, collecting huge amounts at once following a natural disaster or some other sort of incident like that because of the, the expiration date. So red cells can be stored up to 42 days. Plasma can be used rather soon after or be frozen for years, but the platelets do uh, only stay on the shelf for five days. And with all the testing that we do, um, it takes almost three days for all the testing results to come back. So you can see what a tiny window remaining for platelets that we have, just about two, two and a half days. So one way to help avoid this is to make appointments. And we think we do a pretty good job of trying to get people um, in at regular intervals, but to also uh, keep the blood supply as even as possible by setting these appointments ahead of time. So if you are a regular blood donor out there listening, you know what I'm talking about. And if you are someone who's thinking about donating, uh, I would encourage you to um, look online uh, at redcross.org and make an appointment. So if there is a, another major hurricane or some natural disaster, you may be asking people to wait a few days or a week to donate. Yes, and we, we hope they understand. It's not that we don't appreciate their generosity. It's just uh, making the best use of a very uh, precious product. Well, that makes complete sense. And and what about the ongoing kind of daily use? We, we're, you know, talking about cancer patients here uh, to a certain extent. What What's the ongoing need uh, around Connecticut for kind of 
daily use of blood for medical purposes, for surgical purposes? We ship blood out daily, many times a day, to numerous hospitals across the state. And, you know, red cells are constantly being used to help patients with sickle cell, for example, who rely on blood transfusions throughout their entire life, for trauma patients who've been in car accidents, for patients who um, have undergone a liver transplant or something like that. And we transfuse or we provide blood for transfusion for every size of patient. And I know Dr. Snyder can speak to this well. Um, from the smallest premature baby to even intrauterine transfusions, uh, which are transfusions to fetuses who are still in their mother's womb, to adults. And they rely on us every day. And a single transfusion can literally be life-saving for these people. Can you give us an idea about how many units of red cells are used in Connecticut on a daily basis? Hard to say. Okay. So, well, in in our hospital at uh, Smilo, uh, for the cancer patients as well as for the rest of the patient population, um, we get about um, 50 to 60 units of red cells a day. Uh, for platelets, we get about 20 to 30. Uh, we get about 25 to 30 or more plasma units. Um, and the Red Cross um, is available to supplement those shipments. This is seven days a week. Um, when a patient, the reason patients with cancer need blood so much is that one way to treat cancer patients uh, is to use chemotherapy, uh, another is radiation therapy, and if those treatments suppress the part of the body that produces red blood cells, mainly the bone marrow, uh, the patient will may become anemic or his platelet count will drop uh, and they have to be replaced. And the cells survive a short period of time, so you may need to transfuse again further until the patient's bone marrow recovers or until the patient um, has stopped the chemotherapy treatments and is getting better on their own. So we may go from you know needing 50 to 60 units of platelets a day to over 100 if somebody in the operating room, for example, uh, is bleeding excessively or there's a mass casualty. Uh, we work very closely with the blood center, and that's the other reason we have more than one supplier for something as important uh, as blood. Uh, the Red Cross is our main supplier, but um, sometimes, I mean, we realize there are other hospitals in the state that need blood as well. So um, we try to, to manage the inventory, and we're talking to the Red Cross, I would say, five or six times a day. So uh, the physicians are concerned about people who have anemia. Most of the people who are listening think of anemia as being you're lacking something. But in this case, it's really an underproduction kind of anemia due to treatment. That is correct. And so we just giving iron or B12 won't really help. We need to really replace the red blood cells, and right. sometimes the platelets too. Exactly. The red cells, it takes a while. Red cells, seven to ten days for red cells to be formed. Giving someone iron if they need it um, is like um, you know, providing one of the building blocks, but you really need something acutely or, or right away, and that's where the transfusions are. Uh, are used, uh, or platelets if it's a low platelet count. Um, as you had mentioned, uh, the decrease in production causes a need. There are also some illnesses that are seen in patients with cancer. Uh, DIC is, is the abbreviation. It stands for Disseminated 
intravascular coagulation, which is really the clotting that's occurring inside the body. And the blood in the body is not supposed to clot. It clots if you cut your hand uh, and you get a, a little cut on your skin, it should clot there. But you shouldn't have clotting occurring in the blood vessels. That is a big, big problem if it occurs. And we may need to use platelets as well as red cells and clotting factors as well. So we have three physicians in the blood bank um, at any one time in the use of the blood products and discussing with the clinicians and the oncologists what type of blood is used and what's the best one to use for a particular patient. Yeah, I can tell you from personal experience that they're an amazing resource and, and really helpful to the clinicians. That's, people don't have that everywhere, that kind of resource. So that's a great thing. Is there, is there a more critical need for certain types of blood? Well, there's a need for any type of blood. Uh, it can be used um, regardless of blood type. The types that are generally more sent out for appeal are type O blood because it can be given to people of other blood types. Um, and um, But we don't want anyone who is a type A or type B um, to think that the blood is a needed. We need all blood of all types. And uh, um, we rely on the Red Cross to uh, structure their drives to perhaps target sometimes or make appeals uh, as different types are needed. But uh, all blood that is accepted and collectible is, and collected is, is what we would like to have. Dr. West, what do you, um, do you have any, uh, you know, methods for, for searching out certain kinds of blood types and so forth at the Red Cross? Yes, we have large databases of a uh, person's blood types um, throughout the Red Cross in, in addition to our region. So if Dr. Snyder or one of our colleagues throughout the state should need a very particular um, rare phenotype of blood, we are also able to get something for them. And that's from people who've registered with you. That's correct. So that's so, a great thing for people who are interested in this to know that if they have some unique type that, you know, they can really be um, someone who could be called on in a time of urgent need yes. and be very helpful in that situation. I mean, it's really critical sometimes for patients, I can tell you, and, and we really appreciate the work that the Red Cross and the donors' willingness to give in those times when you're really kind of your back's up against the wall and you need something. That's correct. Thank you. So, um, uh, in, uh, during the holiday season now, uh, donating blood is another way to give back to others. What, what exactly should people do if they're interested, Dr. West? Well, if you're interested in donating, um, I would encourage you to uh, go to your mobile device or your internet browser and put in redcross.org, and you'll get a page that comes up. And if you put your zip code in that bar there, it will find you a list of drives near you as well as a map of where they are. And you can do this whether you live in the state of Connecticut or wherever you are in the U.S., and uh, we also have another tool called Rapid Pass. And if you use Rapid Pass, you're able to answer uh, some of the health history questions beforehand and read through the educational materials. And it takes about 10 to 15 minutes and will save you a lot of time. Um, again, I encourage you to make an appointment prior to coming up because even though we staff our drives very adequately, it can be difficult to accommodate a number of walk-ins suddenly. And we 
definitely don't want to discourage you from donation, but we want to be sure to have a spot for you when you donate. And remember to eat well and to hydrate really well prior to donating um, because we want you to start replenishing those fluids uh, even before you donate. Um, following donating, we watch you a little while longer, give you some snacks and juice and to make you, to make sure you feel your best before we send you back out on your way. And, and are there places for people to donate outside of the blood drives, or is everything at a blood drive? Uh, no, you are correct. There are what we called our fixed sites or the Red Cross buildings that you see here and there, and you can donate in those centers. Or you can also donate at what we call mobile blood drives, where we are usually sponsored by another organization or an event, and we uh, come there and set up our drive. So you can donate at either, either type of site. Dr. Bernadette West is the Medical Director of the Red Cross for the Connecticut Region, and Dr. Edward Snyder is the Director of the Blood Bank at Yale New Haven Hospital and Professor of Laboratory Medicine at Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.